Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of Namaste Bitches Podcast with me, your host, Abigailia Shman. I get people from all walks of life, ask them one piece of advice, and then we go from there. This episode, I've got to be honest, is probably my favorite episode that I've ever recorded. Uh, I interviewed my younger sister, Allison Shimon, and she's just a wonderful, knowledgeable woman. She's getting her master's right now in art therapy, and we talk about her journey uh, as an art therapist, how she came to art therapy. She's just lovely and open and honest. Also, we talked a little bit about our childhood. Allison was very sick growing up, and she just came and uh, really spoke honestly. And I know she was really nervous to do this because she doesn't do a lot of public speaking. And she just did great. And I hope you guys find this as interesting uh, and insightful as I did. And yeah, enjoy. So let's get right to it. This is uh, Allison Shimon. So, Allison Shimon, uh, what is your piece of advice? Uh, my piece of advice is to live as your best self in the moment and live your best life in the moment. Very cool. I like your uh, your infinite emphasis on in the moment. Yeah, because I think in the moment, um, it changes from one time to another, whatever your experience is. And so if you can just remember that this is a moment and it is going to pass mm-hmm. and to do your best while you're there in it. Is that something you have to remind yourself often in your own life? Um, I think it's something that I could do better at reminding myself to do in my own life. <clears throat> I think as a lot of people do, they get caught up and forget. And even in the profession that I'm in, that I'm telling people these things, I forget to apply it to my own life. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I definitely can grow from and, and use myself. And uh, so let's talk about what you do. You are an art therapist. Yes. You're getting your master's in art therapy. I'm getting my master's in art therapy. I'm not certified yet, but I am working with clients and doing the whole um, internship and training experience. So how far are you into your master's or how much do you have left? I have four months left. Oh my gosh. You're about ready to get pushed out of the nest. I am. Just a note to the people listening. uh, We are recording this in my mother's house with half my equipment while drinking bourbon. So uh, everything's fine, guys. Everything's fine. So, Allison, explain to the masses what is art therapy. Um, Using art through the therapeutic process. So um, usually what happens is the therapist will talk with the client and um, whatever it is that comes up in the room that day, Perhaps the therapist will um, suggest art directives for the client to do to to handle whatever is coming up in that that session. Um, it's not necessarily the the cl- the therapist doing the art; it's the client doing the art. So I don't I don't necessarily do art alongside with my client. Some people do that that does happen sometimes, <clears throat> um, but it's more focused on. Um, the experience of making art. When you say art directive, like you give them some coloring pencils and a piece of paper. And, and I might you, say like... Like I know this This is going to sound really naive of me. Uh, do you give them like uh, a piece of paper with pe- coloring pencils and are you like, draw your feelings? Yeah. Or Okay. Totally. I nailed it. A lot of times um, I'll, I'll um, ask them to pick out whatever media they want. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever they feel most comfortable with um but sometimes if it's if it's what you can do is if it's someone that is really restricted and um when you say restricted do you mean restricted how and and closed off and not not opening up or discussing whatever they need to talk about and they're like maybe somebody tightly wound Mm mm-hmm Maybe tell, asking them to draw something with coloring pencils would not be beneficial because coloring pencils are such a rigid material. So asking them to use something in watercolor or oil or chalk pastels, it's more free-flowing. It's more, um, you can blend it, you can shape it. It's not going to turn out super precise, and that might be what they need. Oh, they might wow. need to open up and loosen that way. That's interesting. So you let the medium that they're using open them up. Yeah. 
so, in some ways. So how does art therapy differ from other forms of talk therapy? Well, I think talk therapy is really great and really beneficial. Um, and for a lot of people, it, it works and it's just what they need. Um, I, th I think one of the really great things about doing art in um, art therapy is that it allows you to go a little bit deeper mm -hmm. or and or it kind of allows for entry points into the unconscious or things that are not being said and allows those things to surface kind of um, like sliding in the back door like you don't see it coming and then it's like oh we're talking about feelings that I hadn't thought about in 10 years but they're unresolved mm -hmm. Um, art kind of penetrates through those defenses in a way that um, talking may not be able to. So, Some talk therapists can and do do that. So when you're uh, when you're working with a patient, are they doing art while you're talking, or is the art homework? I work with clients because I'm not a doctor. Right. I'll just say that. Okay. <laughs> Let's go over that. So you are ha you're going to get a master's. I'm getting a master's. Yeah. So they're like you said, they're clients. Uh, they're clients, they're not patients. Right. Okay. Right. So, exactly. Okay. Good. Sorry. See, I'm learning as we go, Allison, because although we're sisters, I do not pay attention. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so are your clients, are they making art while they talk to you, or is it a homework-based thing? Um, mostly, mostly it's um, while they talk to me, and oftentimes it'll happen where... Uh, a story or experience will come up and I'll ask them to make art around it and then that might be a period of quiet while they're making art like no talking between us I'm mostly just observing and tracking them mm -hmm. sometimes um, clients don't stop talking and they'll talk the whole time throughout art and that's fine too mm -hmm. um, but it's usually done in the session o occasionally um, and I don't do this very often but I might ask a client to go home and um you know when you're really stressed out in the moment do a scribble drawing and see if that can help relax you and then go back to whatever you're doing mm -hmm. it's hard to remember to do that though <laughs> so when did you start seeing clients i started seeing clients um about nine months ago okay and this is with supervision of a professor or teacher yeah <clears throat> yeah so when i first started seeing clients um our school has has it set up so it's called the the counseling center and um we um we have clients that come in from the community and start starts at 25 dollars, and they have a pay a sliding pay scale so they could pay one dollar if that's mm -hmm. all they can afford and um and we're supervised by our teacher we have group supervision meetings and we also have class that we can go in and mostly we're supposed to talk about cases during supervision but if it's something big that comes up we also can get support during class too mm -hmm. um so your first year of school was just learning the basics the theory of art therapy yeah so in my first year of school what's I, the name of the school you went to let's back up tell me the name of the school you went to i attend southwestern college in santa fe okay continue okay so and then um so our first year is a lot of like learning the basics getting the building blocks so we learned theories of counseling mm -hmm. we've learned theories of art therapy um and then we did no you're fine my hand just started shaking. Oh. And then we did a lot of, um, we've done a lot of um, work around ourselves and our own experiences because the idea is um, we have to be comfortable with ourselves and be able to sit with ourselves through um, all of it in order to be present with the client. So mm -hmm. if a client were to talk about something like, um, you know, their troubled childhood and we had a similar experience, we would not go down the rabbit hole with them and be like, yeah, and da 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 da, we'll be able to stay present and keep the focus on them. Mm -hmm. Because I remember when you started school, there was a lot of, you had to write a lot of papers about yourself and your childhood or our childhood, however you want to phrase it. And uh, did you feel like you were being your own therapist in that time? Did that feel like a year's worth of therapy to you? It was in a way. Um, where one of the requirements for the students while they're in school is to be seen a therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, so there, there's support there. Um, but 
it was a lot of self-exploration and inquiry that I wouldn't have done had I not been going through school. Like what sort of self-exploration and inquiries did it force you to do? <laughs> um, I feel like I need to have a really eloquent answer, but it was just like kind of all encompassing, all like a big blanket of stuff just kind of like, uh, like I think, I just don't have one single answer. It's just like no, a, lot, you, a lot of the, things. Yeah, yeah. so well, what, what were some of them? Uh, family dynamics. Yeah. How um, I remember the first holiday that I went to after I started school and um, having a teacher say about um, when you go home, you turn into like your childhood version of yourself and you've done all this growth, but then you get back in your home environment and everything becomes like you know back how it was 10 years ago and mm -hmm. and kind of being like oh yeah that's why we act like this because <laughs> like we're all in this like petri dish together yeah um i think i also explored a lot about um like ways that i have anxiety and the ways that my anxiety is displayed mm -hmm. um because i think like should i should i get a little personal but um yeah get as personal as you feel comfortable um, please bear in mind that I tell most things about our family on stage so whatever you feel comfortable um and it's it's not like anything most people haven't experienced I'm sure because anxiety is pretty common but things like um when I get anxious and I'm in a new situation I get angry and I lash out at the person I'm with mm -hmm. and being able to sit there and like reflect on that and like look inside and be like well it's not about that person um parking in the wrong spot I might get like really annoyed because they parked and not in the spot I wanted them to mm -hmm. right so it's not about that it's about like my nervousness or fears or whatever mm -hmm. that's coming up and being displayed this way when stuff like that happens do you just find yourself like mumbling under the breath your breath be the best person you can be. No, I don't. I get caught up in this stupid moment, and it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, hindsight. Yeah. Um, what? So as you were going through school, one of you said, by the way, and I said this to you before we started, usually when I ask people for any papers or research or anything, they send me maybe a website, maybe a paper, maybe a video. And you send me like six papers and three websites, which I'm sorry that I opened an hour before we did the interview. But uh, I didn't realize you'd send me so much because no one ever does. I'm a go-getter. You are. You're a perfectionist. Are you, are you a perfectionist? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Were you diagnosed a perfectionist in art therapy school? Yeah, it's in the DSM-5. Oh, is it? No. <laughs> You could just make shit up and I'd be like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> but, uh, no, I think I'm really, like, um, especially when it comes to school stuff, I'm really structured and um, organized, and um, I think that's helped me a lot, and I really, I really need that structure and like that structure, um, and it's played out for me well in school, and then as I'm in my internship, which is um, an internship where I have, like, kind of a lot of balls up in the air all at once and doing a lot of... Because um, you're working with children, mm -hmm. and they like to play with balls. That's true. Okay. Go, Go on. on. Physical and metaphorical balls. Um, I think it's, um, it's helped me because I have a really structured internship, and, and that's kind of how I like it. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about your internship since we're there now. Okay, so I'm interning at Las Cumbres Community Services, and it's um, my I work at the um, community infant program part of it, um, and my deal is working with caregivers and their children and the relationship between them. Mm -hmm. Go on. <laughs> and so that, that includes... Um, you know, having the two people in the room and helping mom or caregiver, who, whoever it is, um, you know, track their child and their play. I work with kids six years old and younger, mm -hmm. so these are pretty little kids, most of them, and um, helping mom be more present, tracking them. Maybe if if child um, reacts and um, has a big fit, helping mom to, um, you know, be present in that moment and to 
uh, talk them through it or to help regulate mom so she can then regulate the kid, um, things like that. How are these people coming to you? How are they hearing about this service? A lot of people um, have referrals from from other places in the community, like maybe their primary health physician, or if they if they receive services like occupational therapy, that that occupational therapist might refer them. Um, but then there are also people that are referred from um, CYFD and um, court ordered people. Okay, so people who are told that they need to do therapy with their kids. Yeah, so they might be experiencing a going through a divorce or custody battles, and then they come to us to help co-parent mm. become better co-parents mm. and how is doing art with six-year-olds and under it's hard it's, <laughs> it's basically non-existent i do a lot of play therapy my my um, focus has shifted a lot from art therapy to play therapy mm -hmm. which is really amazing and i love doing that too so do you have the parents doing art while you do play therapy with the kids or how no do... because you want you want the parent involved in the play too mm-hmm so I want to ask them to go to a table and, and do something, do busy work by themselves or, you know, whatever, while I'm playing with the kid. I want, I want them all involved together. So I would invite um, the caregiver on the floor with me to play with dinosaurs or build blocks or whatever with the kid. Mm -hmm. Allison and I recorded this episode way back in November when we were both at our mom's house for Thanksgiving. And I know at the beginning of the podcast, she said she was about to graduate with her master's uh, in four months. By now, she's pretty much coming to the end of it, which is very cool. And she'll start seeing more clients, not patients, uh, but clients. Uh, I make that mistake several times through the podcast. In fact, through the podcast, uh, it's a lot of me asking Allison a question and her correcting me. But uh, this next section is just gets really fascinating because we talk more about play therapy and her uh, working with younger children and also how art therapy, I don't know if you have ever heard of art therapy before, but it is a very new profession. It's only been around since the 60s. And we also talk a little bit about shopping for therapists. I asked Allison about her therapy uh, sessions, which uh, she uh, doesn't answer. You'll 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 hear. But uh, how to find the right therapist for you? That's something that we get into as well. Speaking of you, I hope everyone's New Year's resolutions are going well. If you've kept them at all, maybe you didn't make one. Maybe you're fine. Maybe some of you wanted to get fit uh, or exercise more or eat better or drink less. I don't know all the things that people usually say at the beginning of January. And now here we are in the middle of February. I hope you guys are keeping it up. I just wanted to share this book that I finished with uh, with you guys. It's called The First 20 Minutes. It's by Gretchen Reynolds. It's uh, on the front. It says, The Surprising Science of How We Can Better Exercise, Train Smarter, and Live Longer. It's basically a book where Gretchen takes an incredible amount of scientific studies around exercise and boils them all down into one book and it's really accessible for those of us who aren't used to reading scientific studies i highly recommend it it's very interesting i'll put it on the facebook group with a couple of interesting tidbits i learned from it speaking of which there's a namaste bitches podcast facebook group you can go join it it's called namaste bitches podcast and uh, post anything you want up there. Maybe you've read an interesting article. Maybe you found a funny meme. Maybe there's just some cool accomplishment going on in your life that you want to share with the rest of the group and the rest of the listeners. Please, let's use this. Let's create a uh, group, a revolution of cool people just trying to do a little better in life. And feel free to share it with a friend. Share this podcast with a friend. Share the Facebook group with a friend. Let's... Let's get chatting. Um, yeah, but that's that's all I wanted to share with you guys in this little break. Let's get back to Allison and talk a little bit more about how play therapy works. All right, here we go. So talk me through what a play therapy session is with a kid. How does that work? Okay, so um, typically and what I do is I... Um, lean more towards um, 
person-centered or child ther- child-centered play therapy, um, which is, and I might be wrong because I don't know a whole lot about other types of play therapy, but um, is a lot of um, tracking the child. And um, I have one supervisor that calls it like sports casting. Mm-hmm. And you're basically just like, oh, you're playing with blocks right now, and now you're sitting on the floor, and then and then now you're really frustrated about that. You know, you're you're talking and narrating all the things that are happening in the room, and it's um, especially when um, big feelings come up, like if they're really frustrated because they built a pile of blocks and then it fell over, and then they start crying, then being able to um, voice their feelings can help them track and regulate because they may not know that oh, this feeling I'm having is frustration. Mm-hmm. So you're putting a name to it. And six-year-olds understand that that's happening? Yeah, I mean, you can start doing it with infants. And the more you do it, and the earlier you start doing it, the more it helps them understand feelings and understands how to track themselves and understand how to regulate their own feelings. So it can start before they're verbal. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. And that helps build up the verbal their verbal capacity because now they're new learning new words because um the therapist or you try to encourage mom to do it too yeah that's what i was about to ask now mom is talking to me about everything i'm doing and now i have a word for this block or i have a word for this dinosaur you know whatever yeah okay cool and is working with kids is that because you're still seeing adult clients as well Mm -hmm. aren't you Mm -hmm. yes um is kids is that your focus or do you still want to work more with adults where where do you find yourself going with it i've always like as long as i've known i've always been interested in working with children and um and that's it's been really rewarding to start this work in this internship here um doing the work that i am doing and it's been really eye-opening because when i first um started school and like on my i'm gonna work with kids spiel and this is all i ever want to do and then I realized, well, I have to be able to um, communicate with the parents, too, so we can, like, all be on the same page and make sure whatever is happening in their life or in the therapy room, we can communicate about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, that seems annoying, but I can do that. And then now the work that I'm doing is um, mom or caregiver and child all in the same room. And I was um, nervous and apprehensive about that because I was like, I'm really good with kids. But adults, I feel awkward around and telling them how to parent when I don't even have kids. It's kind of like daunting. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, but it's something that I feel like I'm starting to get more comfortable with. And the focus in my work at this internship is about this relationship. So that's like dubbed the client, this relationship between the two of them. The space between is the client. And that's really important for the parent to be on the same page and be present with their kid. Mm-hmm. Um so yes, I've always wanted, back to your initial question, <laughs> I've always wanted to work with kids. And as I have been working with adults more and more, I see how amazing that work is and, and how capable I am at that and how how much I've enjoyed it a lot more than I thought. Do you think once you start your own, is it called a practice? <clears throat> mm-hmm. Once you start your own practice, do you think you'll work with kids and adults as an adult separately and kids? Or do you think you'll keep gearing more and more towards children? Well, I don't want to start my own practice. Okay. I don't have any inclination to do that yet. That might be something down the line if I become a practiced therapist and want to... I, I see that as like a way to scale back and still be in the field. Mm-hmm. That's my perspective. That's not everybody's. But um, right now, I want to be like in an agency, you know, having new experiences, cutting my teeth or, or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and like really in, in the thick of it, which is kind of what I see as doing agency work is like you're really in the middle of like a lot of different experiences Mm -hmm. and so I feel like as we were growing up because our mom was in therapy and we were in therapy or I was in therapy a little bit growing up but art therapy is not anything I really heard of until until maybe the last five years and then really when you started doing it I didn't know it was a legitimate thing mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. is it becoming more and more popular all around the world I don't know about around the world I think that's a true statement but also definitely more around um, the country and it's um, 
it's a new profession. It's it. I might have the dates wrong a little bit, but it started in the '60s or '70s, mm-hmm. so it's still relatively new. I mean, psychology is still a relatively new profession itself. Really? Um, yeah, that was about like in the '30s or '40s was Freud's reign. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, post-war kind of stuff. Um, so yes, it's because it's it's kind of taken off more recently. And um, is a relatively new field and getting more um, attention lately. Mm-hmm. I know art therapy is big out west where you live, mm-hmm. where people use healing crystals. Um, but in middle America, like where we grew up in the Ohio, Indiana area, is it still, does it exist here as well? I think it's got pockets of influence. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of those things, like, you know how fashion comes in from the coasts and works its way in? Yeah. It's kind of similar to that, but... Um, there's there's actually an art therapist school in Louisville. Did you look at going there? When I you... did. I did. And it's I, I'm sure it's a great school, but I wanted to be not here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, and, like, there's different movers and shakers that come up throughout the art therapy history that, um, like, I'm thinking there's some in Ohio and there's some in uh, maybe the Chicago area that kind of come in, but they're not on everybody's radar because psychology isn't on everybody's radar Mm -hmm. right so um yeah uh i don't know if i answered that (laughs) no you did do you have is there someone who's influenced your work like a scholar in art therapy who's a big influence in what you want to do not necessarily i think um there there's different art therapists that are grounding like foundational people in the art therapy world um but like I said, this this um, this profession is so new. I think that's one of the things that's really exciting about this profession because I or my peers or classmates could be the next up and coming art therapist that's like discovered something new or starts um, a new theory or something like that. That that could very well happen. Um, one of the things I'm interested is in is trying to incorporate sign language in therapy, mm-hmm. even as a hearing person, but using sign language to express yourself or um, things like that. And I don't know if that's a thing that's ever happened before. So things like that where like you can kind of have an edge or, or work your way into the therapy ground. Wasn't there a study a a while ago, like when we were in high school or maybe even junior high, that young children, like babies can communicate through sign language Mm -hmm. before They, they become verbal? They can. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. So why not? Why couldn't it be a part of therapy mm-hmm. says mm-hmm. the person who knows nothing about well therapy. something that i think is interesting is um so art is so amazing because um art is there when you don't have words for it mm-hmm. so it's hard to sometimes to to concrete your ideas into like verbalizing i feel this way about whatever because of this make a picture about it and it says it all mm-hmm. well that's how i think like sign language could come in because um it's it's metaverbal it's beyond verbal mm-hmm so do you think that's something you would do just with small children, or could you do it with adults, too? I don't know yet. I haven't figured that out yet. Yeah. It's just kind of like um, a seed that's planted way in the back of my mind that maybe I'll be able to... Are you still doing kind of... sign language? Not not really. I want to do I want to do it more. Um, yeah, I need to get back into the practice of it, because it's like um, the more immersed you are, the better you are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I want to start working in with some clients. Mm-hmm. Are you still seen an art therapist? Um, as a ther- like, do I have a therapist that's an art therapist? I guess you mentioned earlier that part of your requirement for school was to see a therapist. Uh-huh. Are you still seeing a therapist? Yes. Oh. I mean, I haven't been in a long time, but yes. Yeah, <laughs> but you would go back. Yeah. And, and part of my requirement as an art therapist is I have to go to art therapy. Okay. And what type of stuff has your therapist had you, have you, have, what type of stuff has your art therapist had you, have you, why is that hard to say? What type of art has your therapist encouraged you to create? I don't want to talk about my therapist. Okay, that's fine. But because I haven't been consistently seeing this person in a long time and I've kind of therapist hopped. Okay. I, I haven't I haven't found one. I haven't landed on one that I really like love, so I don't That's an interesting thing to talk about, which I don't think people uh think about when they're going to a therapist. It's never 
it's not just the first one you find in the yellow pages, is it? No, no. And do your research. And yeah, definitely, definitely try it. Try so, out different ones. Yeah. So for people who are thinking about getting into therapy in general or art therapy or CBT, how do you recommend that they seek a therapist? Um, Google. Google. <laughs> and I, I think it's, it's, um, best practice is for a therapist to be really visual and um, available like having their own web page or having you know how you can do like um, like an Angie's list of doctors or whatever yeah. like being visible on that kind of stuff but that's not always how it goes so um, I've, I've, I've been through I've been to a handful of therapists just since I've started school mm-hmm. and a lot of them I have discovered through word of mouth so getting a recommendation from a friend who really likes or even an acquaintance if it's a friend sometimes that's too close to home yeah so you kind of just have to be careful about how you choose them too i have a friend who sees um a therapist and him and two other friends all have standing appointments on the same day one after the other and i was like i don't care how great that therapist is i will never go see that therapist i can i can tell you another story about that later go ahead not radio story oh damn it Okay, fine. Have you been to, ha, well, while, while you've been therapist shopping or hopping, as it were. Yeah, and that's not to say I don't want to talk about my therapeutic experience because of anything personal or that it was bad, but just because I haven't been, I haven't found one that I am consistent enough with to really say, well, we did this and it was amazing. Like, mm-hmm. I haven't found that yet with, yeah. with in, in, in Santa Fe. Have you met with a therapist that you were like, this is not right for me at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you tell me about that experience? Um, yeah. Uh, it was a therapist that I... I think it was like one of the first therapists that I started seeing when I was... Um, when I started school. And so I'm an art therapist, but I'm not... I, I, I don't feel really confident and competent in my art making. So I was kind of telling her that. And... Um, By the way, just for the listeners, your undergrad is fine art. Studio art. Studio art, excuse me. Go on. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I was telling her that, and well, so she had just moved back to Santa Fe after being away, and so she didn't have a very good setup. She didn't have very many materials, and um, not a very good work area. So it was just kind of like it felt unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, like they talk about in the therapeutic world, they talk about a safe container. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel safe, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and she directed me to do a collage, which is a very um, intro kind of art directive. It's very safe because the pictures are already made. You just have to take them out and glue them the way you want them. So I did that, and I actually still have the art that I made and really like the art that I made. Um, but it was just there was just several things about her that didn't f- feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you were saying about friends seeing the same therapist, I had friends that were seeing this therapist, and... Um, they also had weird experiences with her. Like, um, like I only saw her once and didn't go back. I didn't explain why. I just didn't go back. But um, another friend of mine saw her like three or four times and um, called to make an appointment. And, she, and the therapist stopped calling back and apparently just moved, just like left. And that's really unethical to like leave your clients without any support or um, to have a referral for your clients. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, and I think that was a therapist that was having a hard time herself and didn't handle it very well. Yeah, you know, someone who was having problems in our personal life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because therapists are people too. Therapists are people too. I really appreciate how candid Allison is during the podcast and how she talks about shopping for therapists. And you know, it takes a while to find the right one. It's 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 a relationship in itself you know uh this next section we talk about uh her as a therapist with her students and she talks about her first clients and again i'm just so happy that she was so open and honest about this and it's a really beautiful story and we also get into her diagnosing herself she did this uh as part of a her master's program as a project she went back uh, and looked at her childhood and tried to figure out why she was 
so sick all the time. And um, it's really uh, it's really interesting. I remember when she was doing this uh, and, you know, calling our mother and asking uh, for all of her transcripts to see how much school she had missed uh, while she was ill. And she talks about being medicated. She, Allison was medicated for a big part of her life. And it's all, it's all just really... Uh, fascinating. I, I'm, I'm really excited to share it with you. But before I do, uh, it wouldn't be my podcast if I didn't tell you uh, when my upcoming show dates are, of course, because let's be honest, Allison's the guest, but it is all about me. But she knows that she's my sister. Uh, this month on the 18th, 19th, and 20th, this coming weekend, I will be at the Stand Comedy Club in Glasgow. Uh, I will be in New York doing comedy uh, while I'm there. I'll only be there for four days. Uh, those are about to go up on my website, abagalaya.com. Stay tuned and watch for those if you live in New York. Also, if you want to take a yoga class, I'll be teaching one yoga class while I'm in New York at Bikram Yoga Harlem. Uh, if you recall, Adam Roper is the owner of Big Room Yoga Harlem. He was my very first guest. Uh, Dion Monsanto teaches there. She was also a guest on Namaste Bitches. So please, if you live in New York and you have nothing to do on a Friday night at 6.30 p.m. on the 26th of February, I will be teaching yoga. Uh, one more date that I'm excited about, and then we'll get back to the podcast on March 12th, I'll be back in Glasgow at 7.30 p.m. doing a hour for the Glasgow Comedy Festival at the Blackfriars Pub. So please come to that. All of it is on my website, abagalaya.com uh, slash gigs or calendar. I don't know. Abagalaya.com. You know how the internet works. But let's get back to Allison because this is, this is a really uh, interesting nitty-gritty personal part of the podcast. I'm so excited. When you first started seeing clients, I read one of your papers and you referred to clients H and J. Mm -hmm. So those were two people who knew that you were going to talk about them, not using their names, of course, but in your own education, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me about your experiences when you first started to see clients? Like how, how it felt for you? Yeah, um, H was my very first client. And um, I just think about how to say. She, she was an older woman and um, was having... I'm sorry. Can I tell you something mom said? What? I remember when you started seeing her and mom was telling me and she was like... I think she's older, just so long as she doesn't ask Allison how to use her iPhone, I think it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, our, our, our mom's not the best with technology. I get frustrated, <laughs> apparently. Sometimes. Well, you were the only one here for a long time to help her with that sort of thing. <laughs> I think sometimes. Well, I could go on a whole mom <laughs> tangent, but this is not the time nor the place. <laughs> But yeah, she was an older woman, and um, so I was just really nervous that she had all this life experience and like has, has you know, done things and been places and had all this um, things that she's dealing with, and I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to support her or be um, be able to hold all that. Like, mm -hmm. would my life experience like? And it really doesn't matter about what I've experienced because that's it's not about me; it's about them. But like, I was just nervous, mm -hmm. um, and. But God, it was such, I think I saw her about 15 times and she ended therapy and I have learned so much from her. Like I could start crying about it right now. Like she, God, let's have an Oprah moment. Cry. <laughs> she, she was just such an, like I, I learned so much from her and it was somebody that, um, she would come in and thank me for my service and how she felt so connected to me and, and we did amazing work together and I could just very confidently and easily say, um, H, I have learned as much from you as you have for me. And thank you for being so gracious with me. Aww. And thank you for, um, for 
you know, she, she taught me a lot. And, yeah. and so it was when, when she came in for her final session and she didn't tell me it was her final session, but I kind of knew because I kind of knew of what the circumstances were that were going on. And so I was a little bit prepared, but she brought in, I, I encouraged her to take home all of the art that she made. She might've left, um, a handful of pieces that I held on to. Um, but when she came in for her last session, she brought in every single one of her art pieces that she still had. We we did like an, an art review and we said, remember when we did this and, and this is what came out of it. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it was, this was like the best therapeutic experience as a therapist that I could ever have. Like, oh wow, it just feels like it really came full circle. Like we, a lot of clients you don't terminate with. Some might just like, stop show up stop showing up or you know whatever you don't always get to the termination phase you get to like a a weird stop gap thing why was there a termination did she feel she was done or was it because you were moving on in your own she she actually was moving she moved out of um state okay and um and so yeah so it came and but like I was a little nervous that she would because I kind of thought that she might be moving but she hadn't told me yet um so I was a little bit nervous that I just wouldn't see but her again. Tell in sessions when she was like, "I drew a picture of a completely different place." <laughs> but um, but she called me and she and we we made that last session and it was just like, it just came full circle and it was just a really amazing experience. Mm-hmm. It oh well here's a question that I didn't think of. What do most patients do with their art? Do they hang it up? Do they do um, the uh, therapists hold on to it. What happens to most of that art? What What do you encourage them to do with it? I encourage them to take it home. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, most of the time, um, I will try to take a picture of it and print it and put it in their file. And then, for confidentiality and ethical reasons, I delete all traces of the picture, but it's only kept in hard copy. Um, and ask them to take it home because it's a storage problem like it's just kind of a like a logistical (laughs) thing like it's a storage problem it's a space thing it's um you know I don't want them to stop showing up and then I'm left with all of their art and like ethically I'm supposed to keep it like x a number of years before I can um um destroy it yeah and the idea of destroying another person's art doesn't feel good like if you want to take that home and toss it you can do that but I don't want to do that yeah that's Aww. your psyche. Oh, <laughs> that's cool. So what about patient J? Did you get to a termination period with them? I still see her. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. cool. Client. Awesome. Sorry, client, client. Uh, okay. And um, how long have you been seeing her? Um, I if, think... I, if I get into a gray area or a place that you just need me to move on because of patient, excuse me, client uh client therapist confidentiality just shut me down it's okay okay um i've been seeing her uh i think about 15 sessions by now okay cool and have you had have you seen that person grow a lot how uh, uh, mm, that's probably not the right question because therapy is different for everyone yeah and it's not always like is the goal always growth it depends depends on the person you know yeah it's do people, when people come to therapy, do they have goals in mind? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you want them to. They might be coming because of whatever reason, but um, in in the first couple sessions, you want to try to target some goals with them. Okay. Have you had someone come in and say, this is what their goal, and then after a few sessions, you you find an underlying thing in, instead? I think that's pretty common. Yeah. Yeah, because I think a lot of goals are like surface level, like they want, um, they're boyfriend to stop fighting with them or whatever but it might actually be something like um they need to feel safe in relationship mm-hmm. something like that do you do a lot of diagnosing um at my internship i don't um that that falls to somebody else but i i do do a diagnosing at the counseling center okay cool mm-hmm. and you did a paper where you diagnosed your childhood self mm-hmm. tell me about that so when I was a kid, as you know, I was sick a lot. Mm-hmm. I um, I started getting chronic migraines. I think I had my first, I, I know I had my first migraine in second grade. 
And by sixth grade... Do you remember that specific migraine, or do you just know when it all started? I think I remember the specific migraine because it was the Halloween party that I couldn't go to. I think Mm. that was it. Do you remember that? No. Okay, it doesn't matter. Like, you couldn't go to the school Halloween party? Yeah. Oh, And, like, Mrs. Mrs. Amick um, dropped off your costume because it was grapes. Remember when you were a bunch of grapes? No, Mom dropped it off. Mrs. Amick dropped it off at our house. Oh, did she? Yeah. I don't remember that Because I remember going to see Mrs. Amick and I'm being held by mom. You can cut all this crap out. No. That's interesting. <laughs> Go on. Um, um, so so I, was, I had my first migraine in second grade and then, no, it wasn't that time. It was another time. Okay. But I, it, whatever. And no, then, it, and then about it. in sixth grade, I... Um, I started getting them chronically and started being medicated for them. And I, through sixth grade to when I was 22 years old, I just went through a ton of medication, different kind of, um, different kinds of abortives, which are medication that um, stop the headache from happening, different kinds of um, uh, preventatives, which you take daily. Mm-hmm. And then as, as the years went on, they started putting me on antidepressants because they're like, she's sick all the time. She must be depressed to have some Zoloft. And so I've been medicated for, by the time I got off medication, I'm off medication by the way, um, which was a big, big accomplishment. By the time I went off, I had been medicated half my life. Um, oh wow. Yeah. I was like 11 when I started and 22 when I ended I didn't know what normal development or normal childhood or like, like I didn't have, I didn't like homeostasis, like that middle ground or, um, way of being like, I didn't have, um, I don't even know if that's the right word, but I didn't have that. Um, like I didn't know what normal was. I didn't know what, who I was without medication. Right. Um, so that was a big deal for me when I went off medication to kind of find, find my personality. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Oh, and so for this paper or for this presentation that I did, um, we had gone uh, through throughout um, my experience having these migraines. We went to so many different specialists and neurologists and acupuncturists and um, you I, personally I had, or me when you personally were doing re- research. No, no, me personally. And you um, did uh, you did um, experimental therapies as well. You did Botox when you were I did a child. Botox when I was in um, seventh or eighth grade. Yeah, to both. try to numb the nerve endings. Yeah, I just want to explain it wasn't to get rid of those wrinkles. Yeah, yeah, and that was really frustrating too. <laughs> Allison, be angry. No. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so I did all these experiences, all these different types of treatments, um, trying to figure out what's the best way to heal me. Um, and there wasn't any. I was I was still constantly sick, and I think a lot of it was a product of my environment. Mm-hmm. Um, the my my dad was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it was. Um, so was mine. <laughs> about like um, a way, like this was the way that I could protect myself and stay home and protect mom. Mm-hmm. The migraines were very real. Like that was not um, not something that I was making up. But I think a lot of it had to do with like. Um, things that were going on at home that had me um responding this way Mm -hmm. i guess i don't even i don't even know exactly still but this is kind of my um my best guess this Mm -hmm. is kind of my way of of understanding it Mm -hmm. um and so for this 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 uh presentation that i had to do we had to find something in the dsm or find something that we were interested in concerning uh, sorry what's dsm the dsm is the diagnostic statistical manual which is how you diagnose clients okay it's got it's like a whole big book full of diagnoses mm-hmm. um so we had to find something in psychopathology that we wanted to give a presentation about and I, and that's kind of where i landed was like how my experience of being sick but it wasn't a um it wasn't a testable thing it wasn't like take a test or a blood test or a scan and know that this is it, mm-hmm. you know, so they were just kind of, um, trying to figure out the best they could. And I kind of came up with the somatoform disorder. Is that what I said it was? Yeah. You, uh, hold on. Let me check my notes. It was, uh, yeah. Somatoform. Yeah. And the idea that, um, I'm having all these physical symptoms to an emotional, uh, response to an emotional experience, mm-hmm. basically. 
And in hindsight, which is always 2020, how do you think uh, our parents could have better facilitated your health? Well, I think they did the best they could with what they knew what to do. Yeah, and, I'm, not, I'm and, not saying that they right. did it because I think... And, and I don't know if there is a better answer because I went to therapists. I went mm-hmm. to shrinks. But I didn't know. I think what could have done what we could have done better with is um, education. Um, like educating, why am I going to see a therapist? Because I just kind of felt like this is what I had to do and now I just have to sit in this chair and talk to you and, and then leave and, and then leave therapy at the door. And then when I go home... It's all the same old shit, different day. Mm-hmm. And I forget about everything that we talked about in therapy. Yeah. Um, or like, why am I... Uh, yeah, probably that key part. And because um, we could have still gone to see all the MDs and everything. And that... And just, just to say, like, it's not like you had a bad headache. Because I remember growing up uh, with this. At one point, you were hospitalized. Twice. Twice you were hospitalized. Sorry. Or no... Well, I remember I was, once when I was in the seventh grade, dad calling me and saying that you were in the hospital. Yeah, once I was in the hospital, I was in the hospital for another reason because I had an allergic reaction to the medication I took for a headache. Yeah. But I was hospitalized for migraine. What, and, did, what did they do when you were hospitalized um, for migraine? Because they didn't really explain it to me. When we were growing up, it was just like your sister's in the hospital because oh, her migraines are so bad. But yeah, I didn't what was really, your experience like that? <laughs> I think I was in a school play at the time, and I, I I couldn't grasp, like I didn't understand what they were doing with or to you in the hospital. Like now, as an as I'm asking you this, I'm like, well, did they induce a coma so you couldn't feel it? Did they give me morphine? Did they? Uh, so. Uh, and I don't think I really understood it yeah. at the time either. So maybe it's like sitting down and explaining it to me in children's terms, why am I going to the doctor? Yeah. You know? Um, and maybe they did. I just don't And know. her mother also had chronic migraines. Yeah. I don't know why I feel like I should point that out. But I. But so she was my best advocate because she knew what I was experiencing. Yeah. If, if mom didn't have migraines the way I did or similar to, um, I probably just would have been like, ignored not ignored but you know like people would have thought you were exaggerating yeah yeah yeah. um so when i was hospitalized for this migraine it was because it was before they had abortives on the market the the medication that you take when you have a headache like taking excedrin you take it when you i mean beyond excedrin or advil yeah it's Um, stronger than that but that's what you take excedrin but it was before those things were on the market Mm. And so they they hospitalized me to um, abort the migraine, basically. So I think what they did, I don't remember the medication. There was one medication which gave me an allergy reaction, Um, but they they gave me this medicine in order to accelerate or like make the migraine go through its experience um, more intense but faster, like get it over with. Oh wow! I think that's what it was supposed to happen. Did it work? Uh, no, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. I just remember I was getting ready to... They were like, okay, well, you can go home now because you seem okay. I don't remember if I still had a headache or not. I think I didn't at that point. Um, but they had given me a medication that's... Um, so I'm allergic to um, Finagran, Compazine, and Reglan. And I don't remember which one they gave me, but it Compazine. was... I know that because... Whenever people ask me if I have allergies on forms, because I've never had it, I say I don't, but... Well, no, I'm allergic to all three of them. Okay. But I don't remember which one they gave me in that they gave instance. You That's, I know they gave you Compazine. Well, because... Mom gave me another one. Oh, never mind then. But anyway, they gave me that medicine, and I started having an allergic reaction. And they're like, never mind, let's give you a Benadryl drip and keep you here for a couple more hours. Mm-hmm. And the allergic reaction is... Um, for one, for one reaction, I had, um, an instance where my, my muscles all tensed up and, um, I couldn't, I couldn't move my muscles, but like my neck was behind my shoulder and my jaw was like, I was contorted. I was just completely, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't explain it without showing it. So I don't know. <laughs> we can take a picture and put it up on the Facebook page. And then for the, for the instance where I was in the hospital, I started having involuntary twitches where my whole, um legs and arms would just like flail twitch okay. big it? twitches okay. and then i had a benadryl uh, this is so tan this is so i think it's interesting i think it's interesting to 
uh, uh, talk about where you came from in the type of therapies that you did that led you to art therapy. Mm-hmm. Actually, here's a question, and uh, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but why do you think your reaction to our childhood was migraines, but that, that wasn't the case for all for the other three of us? We're, I think we all had different coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. I think you were avoidant. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. I think Annie was um, a control freak. Mm-hmm. I think Abe was sick in a different way. He had um, stomach ulcers and he had um, uh, IBS. You know, he had all sorts of stomach problems yeah. and was sick from school a, a lot. Not as much as I was, but a lot. And then I had this. So I think we all had different things going on. I am just so impressed and proud of my little sister, Allison. I, I just think it's so cool. She's getting her master's. She's, she's seeing clients. She's so well-spoken. I'm just, I'm so proud of her. I had nothing to do with it, but, oh, I'm chuffed. If you want to know more about Allison's school or art therapy, you can go to Southwestern College's website. That's Southwestern, one word, college. Uh, they are at www.swc.edu. Of course, I will put that in the show notes. Uh, this last bit here, uh, Allie and I talk a little bit about drug therapy and uh, her choice to go off medication because, as she said before, she's medicated for most of her life in that process of going off medication. And then we also get in real quick uh, to the fact that she works at a therapeutic preschool, which is pretty interesting stuff. But I will let her tell you all about it. Here we go. Is one of the reasons why you're drawn to art therapy is because it's a holistic approach? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, never mind. Okay, forget I asked. Uh, uh, I mean, you go to a pretty hippy dippy school. I I definitely (laughs) do. And, and I, um, appreciate that concept of it. I appreciate that that's kind of, um, a part of it, but I wanted to, um, I wanted to like find a career that I could give back to people and enjoy it and do art Mm -hmm. and kind of landed here in this art therapy field. Okay. Um, I I went to school for studio art and and by halfway through I was like I don't know what I'm going to do with studio art. I don't feel confident in my art making. It's not like I can like I never got to the point where I was comfortable enough like labeling it labeling a piece um for like x amount of dollars and you know, I just never felt mm-hmm. good about that, but I like making art or I like being creative. Um and using that creative ability or outlet in a way to help people. So that's that's where I what I came up with. How do you feel about drug therapies now? Do you are you do you think sometimes they're necessary, or do you encourage people to find other options first? I think they have a time and a place. Um, other other options first. But if this is your, you know, you've you've exhausted everything else, and you need to you need to take um, some antidepressants or whatever. I think that's that's okay. I think what you need to do is be aware of what you're taking and how much and, and be able to monitor it. And that's hard. Like saying that is much easier than, than doing it because I feel like when you're in that state, you're in a fog. Mm-hmm. And then when you come out of that fog, hopefully by antidepressants or hopefully by whatever means, but if it's antidepressants, you're like, this is working and, um, and I'm going to keep working at it. I'm going to keep doing it because it's working. But being able to um, kind of uh, step back from, from that and and evaluate the situation well am i still having this hardship in my life that i need antidepressants or can i handle this myself mm-hmm. or whatever the case is i think it's it's completely um person by person and situation by search situation too mm-hmm. <clears throat> when you came off your medication how did that make you do you remember how that felt not exactly i remember being like not knowing not knowing what no medication felt like and wanting to to go there because I was just feeling nothing. I was pretty numbed to everything and but not but not feeling good. Um, not feeling like um, antidepressants were making me feel more active and engaged in life. I just wanted. So I've I've taken all sorts of um, 
variations of cocktails and upped my dose and down this one and more of that one and and you know I was just finally like well nothing none of this is working so why am I still doing it let Mm -hmm. me start and when I went off like best practice and what you should do and what I did do just to clarify like you titrate off you taper you go off by incremental doses yeah slowly until it's down to zero um and so like nothing was working so I was like well why am I still doing this let me just see what it's like without it um and that was also like I was at a stage in my life where I was like where I was a where I was starting to become aware of that Mm -hmm. um I feel like I had to go through all the shit that I went through to be able to say oh okay I did that and that and that and that and now let me let me make my own decisions let me start doing this for myself um when I went off antidepressants my um psychiatrist really did not want me to do that i've been on antidepressants as well i don't know if you know that but i've been on them as well and whenever i've gone off them the the therapist or psychiatrist did not want me to go off them Mm -hmm. every time i mean Mm -hmm. twice but still anyway and that's something that's just something well that's that's something that you have to be aware of in the pharmaceutical world and in the in that kind of environment is that you really have a therapist that's advocating for you and not for the bottom dollar Mm -hmm. because it's it's a lot it's a money's game too like it's 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 kind of scary because um you know how um you go to a doctor's office and you get the pens or pads of paper with um with the drug on it yeah well, that's because pharmacy reps bring that and encourage doctors. Hey, we have this new drug. Give it a try. They get paid more to prescribe whatever new drug is on the market. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because that's the best drug you need or that's the best drug and the market. It's what is making more money. Yeah. So it's just something to kind of be aware of. When you see clients, do they sometimes have two therapists or do they see you and a psychiatrist? Or do clients see that? Maybe not yours specifically, because I know you're just starting out, but... Yeah, um, so that's true. I am starting out, so I don't have a whole wealth of experiences like that, but it, but that is um, something that definitely happens. And with one of my clients that I have seen, um, that was an experience of, like, they, they were on um, medication, and I was really trying to advocate for them to... Um, make sure they're staying up on it, make sure they're seeing their physician regularly and being, you know, on the right dosing. And here are some referrals for you if you don't have your own doctor. So I think um, coordinating care is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, with the kids you see, are any of, do you know if any of them are on medication? I don't know exactly because I also, part of what I do in, an intern, in my internship is... Um, I work at the therapeutic preschool, and so I don't I don't know all the ins and outs of their um, history. We haven't talked about the therapeutic preschool yet. No, we haven't. No, we have four minutes. Go. Well, uh, I work you don't at, have to wrap it up. Yeah, in four the minutes. therapeutic preschool. Um, What's a therapeutic preschool? Well, I'm gonna butcher this. <laughs> In your best possible words. Well, in this, in this spe- specific in- instance, um, it's a third are cognitively delayed, a third are behavioral delays or behavioral problems, and a third are um, typically or normally developing children. So it's all um, a mix of kids and experiences. And I might have gotten those thirds. I might have named them wrong. So... Um, but so it's a mixed group of kids having a lot of different experiences and the idea is that they can help teach each other um having these experiences so like um um you know the the typically developed kid might be able to help regulate a kid that's having sensory issues or something Mm -hmm. like that because because he's a kid and, and they're you know they're relating to each other in that way Um, but with the therapeutic preschool too, a lot of it is like what I talked about that I do in play therapy, like naming the kids feelings and tracking the play that they're doing and things like that. So sports casting their play. Mm -hmm. Cool.
Cool. And you work with alongside a teacher or alongside another therapist? Two teachers, yeah, two okay. preschool teachers. So you're not like teaching the class no. and doing therapy. You're there as the... Yeah, and, and one of the things that I do and hopefully we'll do more of is I pull a couple kids out of preschool and we do play therapy as like a group of four of them. We might go into a smaller classroom and have more of a... Um, a more intense therapeutic learning experience than what they might have in the classroom because um, it's focused on sharing or mm. feelings or something like that. Beautiful. Okay, so uh, we're about to wrap up. Um, as as we're about to close, what what do you see your do you have goals or what do you what do you want for your own future in art therapy and as you continue your practice and as you graduate from your school? That's a big question. Yeah, sorry. I would have told you before we started that I was going to ask it, but it just popped in my mind. Yeah, you could have helped me prepare for that. (laughs) Um, Well, I think the the goal for my future is to um, become the best best therapist that I can. In the moment. In the moment. (laughs) And, um, like, I constantly want to be learning and um, growing. If I – I've noticed – how do I say this? Um – there are instances where I might feel bored with a client or bored with um, a treatment or um, annoyed by a client. You know, if, if I start feeling like these uncomfortable feelings, um, looking towards myself and see what is it about me that needs to grow to be able to sit with this client and be present with them in a better way. I, I constantly want to be um, learning more and, um, you know, developing more tools and experiences so I can be a better therapist. Mm-hmm makes sense yeah that's beautiful <laughs> you did good kid thanks was this as bad as you thought it'd be allison was very nervous it got, it got better as we go yeah it always does it always i'll be honest with you it always does um cool well so as we uh we're finished is there oh i should have told you i was gonna do this before we started um if people wanted to find you or your school is there any is there any literature or is there any place that you could direct them for more information jim nolan the president of my school is going to love this okay because he's all about publicity and the plugs okay (laughs) but the school that i go to which really is a great college and i've had such a, a wonderful um experience there um go to um swc.edu to learn more about art therapy and counseling um and that's that's what i got cool (laughs) cool if if people wanted to reach out to you directly do you have a professional email if you don't want to give that out you don't have to or a professional uh i don't want to use my profession i have a work email but you can email me at my hotmail my gmail account do you want me to say that? Yeah, if you say it, and then I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> okay, well, if you want to email me, it's apshaman at gmail.com. Great. Thanks. Awesome. Can you give your tell the listeners your piece of advice one more time? Um, be your best version of yourself in the moment and experience the best life that you can in the moment. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on, Allison. Thank you. So that's it. That is episode 15 of Namaste Bitches Podcast with Allison Shaman. Please check out her school at www.swc.edu. If you have any questions for Allison specifically, you can reach out to her at apshaman at gmail.com i'll include that all in the show notes and allison is a member of the namaste bitches podcast facebook group so you could reach out to her there as well um yeah go on uh comment uh share this podcast with your friends check out other things i'm doing at abigalia.com and thank you for listening enjoy the rest of your day be beautiful namaste